Welcome to The Board, a podcast series on mechanical keyboards by the mechanical keyboard community. Proudly brought to you by Idea23, awesome caps at great prices, and Kibio, the place for split keyboards. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. The background story to this is that Kevin is actually once again traveling for work and two circumstances have come to play. One, his hotel internet is terrible. In our pre-recording discussion, like we normally do as we set up, he was cutting out in and out, in and out, and uh, there was entire chunks of conversation missing. So that was the first part. And the second part was they were tearing a building down next door. It was so loud that while he wasn't talking, it was triggering the auto mic limit. So I could actually hear the sounds that was occurring. Now, because of that, we've decided to do today's episode slightly differently. And what we're actually going to do is we're both going to record our own separate kind of mini episodes on exactly the same topics. Now, we're not going to splice them so we're going to talk one after each other of it, but rather this first half of this episode will be me monologuing, solo recording the topics, and then the second half will be Kevin's. So you'll get to hear what I think of these topics, and then Kevin will talk through his thoughts about the same topics as well, roughly. You know, we have our topic list and and we just take it from there. I don't know what order he's going to talk about them in, so it's just going to be a a bit of a free-for-all in that context. So hopefully everyone out there who is listening to this will enjoy that. And uh, yeah, so let's get started. The first thing that I'm going to talk about today is just another quick public service announcement on meetups. It's been a little while since I've talked about meetups and uh, I just wanted to read through the list and give shout outs for all the meetups that are happening. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania will be tomorrow. So by the time the episode comes out, it's probably going to be too late. Uh, Same as Leahy in, I think it's Utah. Now, July 14th, there's going to be two meetups. One, which is in Toronto in Ontario and Helinski in Finland. I believe that's what it is, FI. On July the 21st, there's going to be a meetup in Paris. July 28th is going to be Seattle and Washington State. Then August 11th is Birmingham in the UK. September 15th is in Washington, D.C. And finally on the list, September 22nd will be at Newark in New Jersey. Now, there are some interest checks that are currently floating around. Minneapolis, sometime between October to November. Florida is kind of well over. Why is it still on the list? May 7th. And Southern California is June 18. So that's kind of also uh, well over as well. Huh. I don't know what's happening with those, but... Uh, hmm. Oh, no. It's, it's when those initial postings, not necessarily when the actual meet updates were posted. And a just quick reminder that the Sydney meetup will happen on December the 8th because the venue has already been booked and paid for. Now, we haven't really done anything in setting up 
a, a interest check or anything like that, but the venue is solid, so it definitely is going to happen on that date. Rightio, moving along. My first topic for today is the massive Scrabble Pad PCB. Now, we've talked about it a couple of times. We've talked about that there's been options for it to come with switches as well as a case, an acrylic layered case done by Jollymon. Donut Cables is the one that's actually creating it, and now they are running the group buy for this PCB. It is a 15 by 15. It's driven off either a Teensy 2++ or a Teensy 2++ clone, which is about half the price. And his interest check runs through a whole pile of components that is available for it. Now, I'm going to give a quick read of the features. So like I said, it's 15 by 15, which is 225 switches. It does have NKRO capability. Runs off a Teensy 2++ or equivalent. It is both QMK and TMK compatible. It has SPI and I2C breakouts. I don't know what SPI is, but I know that the I2C is for serial if you want to daisy chain them. It does have micro SD reader and TRRS port footprints, so you can use them as multi-chained pads. Although if you have more than one of these, I hate to think of how many commands you need. It does have an RGB strip header, so you can make fancy lights to go with, I guess, your acrylic case. And there are more expansion pinouts and 16 mounting points so that it doesn't flex very much at all. Now, he does have a link. The buy is running from the 25th, which was this Monday gone by, to the 16th of July. So there's still a couple of weeks for you to think about it and get involved. They have uh, a couple of items available as part of the buy. So the PCB diode packs to go with it because you're going to need 225 at least. The actual controllers, so they're offering a clone of the Teensy and the mounting pad. So that's going to be the standoff and screws to go with it. And if you don't want to go with the case option, you don't want to develop your own case, essentially they're just recommending that you buy two of the PCBs and it should uh, you know, end up being sort of like a Gherkin style mount, which would be uh, pretty cool. I've actually expressed my interest in it, except for the fact that I'm waiting to hear about potentially how much the actual shipping is because uh, you know, it could be a deal breaker depending on how crazy shipping is going to be since it's a very large PCB. Now, as of one day ago, the current pricing was 28 PCBs ordered, so it was $16.50 each. That's pretty reasonable, actually, to be honest. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was 23 orders for die packs, 23 orders for controllers, and 14 for the mounting packs. So there's still a couple of weeks. Make sure you check it out, because I think it's really good for soldering practice, if you can get, like, cheap switches to go in it. And... Obviously, you know, by the time you finish doing 225, that's the equivalent of doing two full-size keyboards or uh, what's that? About 71, so 360% keyboards. So it will give you a lot of experience in soldering diodes and switches. Really, really good, quite affordable and, you know, something to have a bit of fun with. Rightio. The second topic, while I'm just rolling on through, is also relating to a buy. But this one's a little bit different because what I'm talking about is the modern M0110 group buy. It is a recreation of the Apple Alps 
M0110. It is a win keyless, almost HHKB style. The case itself is, it's, it's minimalistic, it's beautiful, it's got some really clean lines to it. Uh, what can I say? It is a very classic aesthetic that I know a lot of people are really after. It is being run by Desk Candy, and they have some proxies happening in a couple of countries. So in the UA, EU, UE, <laughs> what am I thinking? It's in the EU, it's mykeyboard.eu, and in China, Z Frontier is doing their uh, proxy. But I'm not so much talking about the actual keyboard itself, except there's been some, I wouldn't really say controversy. It's not controversy. It's not really even popcorn because it's not drama, but it's it's concern on pricing differences for people buying in other countries. Now, I didn't really know very much about this until somebody from our Slack brought it up in, in chat because they were like, what is with the massive price difference? So if you proxy it in the US, it will cost a certain amount. And then if you proxy it in the EU, it costs a much bigger sum of money. There are good reasons for this because there is naturally shipping costs. And then the EU have VAT. So it's like, a, I think it's called value added tax or, you know, it's just an import tax is a good way of looking at it. It's like 21%, which is massive. It's a really, really big hit. Okay. But people have been doing the maths and, uh, the, the numbers don't seem to really, really match up very well. Okay, so there's a couple of different posts by a couple of different people, and they've got very simpler maths, similar maths, where they're just putting out, you know, the breakdown on why the cost is higher. And I want to read out some of these bits. So, you know, shipping four kilograms of keyboards isn't cheap, 21% tax, there's 20 euro administration fees, and so on and so forth. Um, the EU cost is mainly caused by that 21% tax, 4% higher fee, and a 30 euro shipping per board to the EU, even in bulk. So it's, it's going to be interesting in that some people feel that they're still getting ripped off because after you take those calculations into consideration, it's actually still a higher cost. Do the people who are running the proxy deserve to earn any profit from a group buy scenario? Because they do have to put in their time and effort, right? They have to put in their time and effort because, well, I mean, okay, if you're really nice and it was only a small buy, sure, you can do it gratis for the community and, and lots of people would love you for it. But if you're going to do a lot of it and there's a lot of work involved in receiving it, paying your taxes, paying invoices, repackaging them, relabeling them, splitting them out from bulk and making sure people get the right items that they're after and then sending them out. I think it's actually quite reasonable to expect that they should get something for that amount of time, energy and effort that is required. But, you know, the price difference that people are calculating is, um, yeah, a little bit on the high side for what they thought that they would be paying in the difference because they're used to paying a little bit more but what's being added on seems to be a lot more to the way that they feel about it. So, 
yeah, what can I say? What can I say? Now, the end result of this though, for the person in our Slack is that they're choosing to take the risk of paying more potentially by importing it themselves. They're now looking at getting it proxied to somebody in the US. So they'll be paying the US fees and then carrying it across to them and covering the import costs and shipping costs themselves because they believe it's actually going to be cheaper. I don't know what the end result is actually going to be. It might be, it might not be, but I guess we'll find out very soon. But it does raise a really interesting question in that should people who are running these kind of buys now think about potentially finding vendors in each local regional country so that they can avoid these types of issues. At the interest check stage, if you do your research and your homework and you say, you know what, we're going to make this in this country for your area. So you don't have to worry about the whole international shipping of four kilos and you don't have to worry about the import tax. But this is what it's going to cost for you to get it in your country because that's what it costs to get it made. Whereas these guys in this country will get it made from this place and that's what they're going to get paid. Now, of course, there's going to be some countries which are going to be a heck of a lot cheaper to do than others, but then that's where you have to start doing the same kind of mathematics. Is it cheaper to get it in China and sent to every country? Is it cheaper to get it done in the US and pay less for shipping and tax? Is it cheaper to get it done in the EU and you don't have to pay the import tax, but then the actual cost of materials and labor is going to be higher, so on and so forth. The maths can be done. It's just going to be a matter of what is worthwhile. So that's some food for thought. Uh, maybe somebody would be interested in actually running something like that for a very small item or design, you know, create a little macro pad, numpad, custom thingamadoobie, not terribly expensive, and just reach out to different vendors in different countries or regions and go, how much would it cost for me to get this made, sent out at approximately this MOQ, and then therefore you can go, hey, this is the price difference. If you want this, then this is what it's going to be. And then just gauge how the community feels about it. You never know. It could be viable. But then again, China's pretty hard to trump. Okay, let's move on. That's two down. Ah, a bit of fun. So this particular thread is called Just How Cheaply Can You Make a Keyboard? Very, as it turns out, my first keyboard build. I had a bit of a laugh at this one because I was looking at the thumbnail and I thought it looked like cardboard. But it actually turns out to be foam board uh, where a particular person cut out some foam board, mounted some switches, used copper tape, like flat ribbons of copper, to solder their matrix as a hand wire to uh, their controller and used a phone cable to essentially connect to their, their their keyboard peripheral device. But uh, I thought it was really entertaining because they used sewing as a method to actually put their foam board together. Now, they must obviously be in the UK or thereabouts because it cost 30 Great British Pounds. So it was about, oh, I don't know, maybe $50 or something like that, roughly. Australian, so that's probably about $40, 38, 
$35 US or something like that. I'm not 100% sure what the conversion rate is. I'm not going to bother doing the calculation right now. But I thought it was it was entertaining. It was fun and obviously an experiment. You could probably do just as well or easier with some random materials lying around the home. Depends on if they actually purchased the uh, the phone board and other stuff because I, I think they were just counting costs of what they had to buy as opposed to what they had lying around. Personally, for me, I probably would have used masking tape rather than sewing it because even if you sew it, I don't know how much flex and movement there is going to be in the actual body of this split ergonomic keyboard. Whereas, you know, if you tape it, you can actually tape things quite cleverly so it's going to be really nicely tucked up. Um, but yeah, looked like a lot of fun and I'm sure they had a good time. So if you got any other really interesting ways on how you put together an unusual keyboard or layout, please, by all means, let us know, share it, send it, and uh, we'll be more than happy to let people know that you can go and check out your weird and wacky builds. <laughs> At least his, uh, his, there, his design is super lightweight, though I don't exactly know how durable it is since it's made out of foam board. Probably might suffer some puncture wounds here and there or, or something like that, but uh, I don't know. I guess we'll just find out in the future if he ends up saying anything about it furthermore. Radio. Now, this was about halfway through my kind of allotment half of this episode, so let's talk competitions. I'm actually not drawing our monthly competition for the Kibio giveaway in this episode. And the reason is because the actual end of the month hasn't finished. So the 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 Gleam site application, as it were, does have a timer on it and I'll draw it afterwards. And of course I'll mention the winner in the next episode. But what it does mean is people will still know because I will actually draw the winner, of course. And the notification will usually go out if, you know, you, you find out that you're the winner and so on and so forth. So I'm really happy to please. Bleh, I'm really happy to please. I'm really happy to announce <laughs> that there is 222 people who got involved in the last week of this competition. So I think that's really good. It's really cool. And of course, people love free stuff and it doesn't really cost you anything except to just go check out some websites and maybe give a response to help Danny at Kibio see what the community is interested to have him stock. So I'm going to make sure that list gets to him and he can appreciate all of that feedback that you've all given him. Now, you might be thinking, well, because they're doing this split episode, how are they going to do the guessing game? Well, we talked about it as we could with uh, him cutting in and out. And Kevin and I are going to run our guessing games separately to each other, okay? And it's actually going to be the requirement for this week's Idea 23 keycap giveaway. So how it's going to work is I'm going to read out my five clues. Kevin's going to read out his five clues, okay? We're not going to reveal the answer, or at least I'm not going to reveal the answer. And you have to submit 
your answer after hearing all five clues for both or all three of ours, depending on how many Kevin run, because I'm only going to run one set, to our email, which is theboardpodcast at gmail.com. And then it'll be a random draw. Now, it can't be really points-based simply because, well, I don't know when you actually got the answer, if you get the answer correct. And, well, some people might not be necessarily as advanced to, to get the answer. So it's not going to be a game of skill. It's just going to be a game of luck. Send in an answer. Doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. And you'll have a chance to win. My little one is going to bed. You going to give me a hug? Okay, can I give Daddy a kiss? Okay, it's bedtime. Good night. Bye bye. All right, so my guessing game five questions. The clue to it is this is a key cap set. Okay, key cap set. For five points, I was first released in March 2013, but did not get a refresh and new release until 2015. For four points, I was run by a Korean vendor. For three points, I was produced in double shot ABS and was only run as a TKL set in OEM. For two points, my colorway was based on a product that is consumed in the order of two billion units a day worldwide. And for one point, civet cats are mistreated for this product that my colorway and name is based off. So hopefully uh, you were able to figure that one out without having to go to Google. But uh, you know what? It doesn't matter. You can still Google it if you want, as long as you send in a couple of answers, one for my guessing game and one or two or however many Kevin decides to run, then you can be in the chance to be drawn for this week's Idea 23 keycap giveaway. Right, onwards and upwards. While we're talking about keycaps, you like that segue? Hey. Aluminium anodized with resin fusion. So, Salvin has done some CNC keycaps already, and they've been pretty cool. And there's been a picture this week of some really lovely colors and some unusual designs. The base of the cap has deliberate placements of gap space in the aluminium keycaps. They've been machined out. And the prototypes listed, uh, well, not listed, but uh, Instagrammed, as it were, show that the cap is completed by resin shotting. You know what? That's really darn cool. I really like it. I had a look at these and I thought, you know what? They look really unusual. And I didn't realize until I kind of read further into it about what they were actually planning to do with the resin. And I think this kind of ingenuity is 
fantastic. What will be interesting though is how well the actual resin binds and holds and well what's the durability aspect here because some resins will not bind to metals. So the surface if it's very shiny, if it's very smooth, for example if it's been anodized like these, they don't have a lot of surface for the actual resin or epoxy or polymer to hold and grip. And I know this from personal experience because when I used to do my resin casting, I would actually deliberately work on metal trays because I could peel off or chip off dried cured resin and it would just flake off. So if you're putting resin onto these keycaps that have already been anodized and some of them look very polished, if you accidentally knock or drop your keycap, what is the likelihood that a chunk of that resin is just going to pop out in the shape of you know, the rest of the keycap? It might not happen, it might happen, it really depends on what's happening on the underside as well. Now there's three designs by the look of it. One is kind of like, you know, a floating center bit that's held to the actual rim. One has kind of like a keyhole that's in metal and then the resin goes around it. And one is just like a corner that's missing. If the shot doesn't somehow wrap around back internally in, in resin to keep it there, then I really feel there is potentially a chance that the resin cap could. I'm not saying that it will. There's no, there's no absolutes in this context here. It's just that depending on the resin that he's working with, it could happen. That's all. But I think it's absolutely fantastic. There's obviously been a lot of design work in this. There's been a lot of testing and trialing. And the results are stunning. The color combinations that are available through this kind of work is, is just, you know, it's absolutely amazing. Because not only do you have the yeah, the metal anodization itself, but now you can play with different color combinations of resin. Since you can tint it, you can color it, and you can even do funky, cool designs within it because we've already seen everybody else do that as it were. The pricing is, it's a little bit on the higher side at 58 US, I believe is what the, the anticipated price is going to be each. But you know what? Considering how much work is actually required, because you got to mill these and then you're going to have to, well, okay, it's 50 euro, which is roughly 58 US according to uh, his comment, Salvin's comment. There's a lot of work because you got to mill the cap, you got to anodize the cap, and then you got to resin the cap, and then you still got to take it out and potentially clean it and polish it up and everything else. So I think it's actually quite a fair price for the amount of steps involved in doing these caps. Can't wait to see some of them come out through into the community and end up on artisan macros because they will look absolutely sick. Sick as. Rightio. Now, moving away from keycaps into switches. I actually picked this topic when I saw it because today I built a macro pad using the Kale hot so sockets. The first time I've actually soldered these, and you know, I did a video on it, which I'll release probably uh, next week, because this week's video I've actually got, I've done, uh, is a review of the Switch Cracker from DIY Keyboards. So thank you very much, Jesse, for sending me that. So that'll come out very shortly. But uh, I had some time and availability this weekend, because I don't always have a chance to build anything on weekends, because my daughter doesn't have... Uh, 
daycare. My wife went out for lunch, so I had a chance to actually sit and build something very quickly. And I built this little macro pad using these switches. So it made me think about this particular topic and I wanted to talk about it. The hot swap has actually failed because somehow the owner shoved a switch in incorrectly so that it actually bent the pins, the, the socket that was soldered to the PCB. Now, if you've never seen a kale hot swap by itself, you can try and find the video where I have a look at them on our YouTube channel because you know I, I did look at them, but it's a bit of black plastic and it's got some contacts like bent leaf contacts by the looks of it inside it. And then there's these two sort of C-shaped kind of girder-like ish bits that stick out the side. And that's what's actually soldered onto the surface uh, pads on your PCB for the connection to your, your matrix. Those C-section girder bits connect to those sort of copper leaves. And that's where it actually bent. So they put so much force into it that they bent a very short bit of metal, which is much harder to do when it's shorter because it's going to be stiffer, but it didn't actually break the solder joint on the PCB. And that's really what, you know, this this photo was showing. But at the same time, you got to think about like how hard was this person pushing? Like staggering amount of force relative to every other switch they probably put in would have been required to do this. I don't know who the owner was, so I don't have any names that, and it's not that I'm trying to shame them or anything, but don't you think if you're putting switches in and it doesn't fit right, you're not just going to be like, you know what, I'm going to push harder because obviously I'm fitting it right and it's just not going in. Like, come on, really? I mean, it's not so bad that it's, it's gore, like tech support gore or, or hardware gore or anything like that. It's just a little bit of a bent metal, easily fixed. You just desolder it, pop it up, get another hot swap switch and put it in. But I only hope that there were somebody that were relatively new to keyboards and didn't realize this simply because, you know, anybody who has actually built in the keyboards and knew about how hot swaps worked and everything else, it should have just been straight in, nice and smooth you know, a little bit of brief resistance like a, a tactile switch. It would have positive tactility, okay? Not like some of these box click, uh, not <laughs> click, some of these box switches. Uh, and, and then it would have stopped. So please, 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 anybody, if you're working with kale hot swap sockets, don't force them. They really don't require any surmountable force to put your switches in. If it's not sitting right, take your switch out, check your pins are straight, check they're lined up right, and then try again, okay? Otherwise, you're gonna have to flip it open, open up your case and take everything out and desolder it and get yourself another one. And these things aren't cheap, at least. Save yourself some money, time, and effort. Rightio, and we're kind of pretty much at the end of the episode now. There's only one more topic, and I think it's probably the most interesting, exciting one for this week. And what it is, is the announcement of a new prototype stabilizer designed by Ramaworks. 
It's called the Stab SEQ1. It got some fancy renders and graphics and pictures of the actual prototype in test on their website. And it's really interesting. It's really interesting. I can't 100% tell what the material is, but it's probably metal, knowing Rama, for the actual mounts. So it's not like plastic, but it could be shotted plastic. Just has that sort of silver metal look to it. It does still hold true to a cherry style stabilizing system. So it's not like the co-stars where you've got loose bits that plug in and then the wire hooks into it. What does make it look very interesting and what you can tell from the design pictures and, and the images and the modeling is they are going with a very rounded approach. The material, the plastic material from the pictures or the renders look like to be something like POM, for example. So it is probably not just any old cheap plastic, but it's going to be stem-like plastic. So it'll actually fit like keycap stems. But it's also supported with very minimalistic surrounding guides. And, and what I mean by that is it's got two, four, six, eight little nubs that come away from the housing that will hold and stabilize the sliders as they move up and down inside the stabilizer housing. And, and it's very well designed, of course, it's Rama works. And it means that the stem's not gonna wobble around and move because no doubt it's probably gonna be the entire length of the, the actual housing. But it's also reducing the amount of contact and friction. So it'll be a very smooth experience and with that many contact points, it will also no doubt hold it very, very still. So the stability, the vertical axis, the amount of wobble will be very minimal and it should feel really, really great. What is interesting though is um, they kind of almost look like it's got a spring in it because if you look at some of these early CAD things, there's like a spring inside a clear orange stem in the middle. So, have they gone with spring-loaded stabilizers? But you see, one of the animated GIFs that they have in it shows that it's actually down in a downward position. But is it an option that you can put a spring under it? And I find that really interesting because that would assist with bigger, longer, heavier space bars, especially resin space bars from artisan space bars for lighter switches. So you don't have to worry about having to open up your switch and put in a heavier spring because the stabilizers can help support that weight. So I think that's pretty cool. And of course it's designed as sort of PCB mount type but uh, it probably, by the looks of it, might also be screw-in support as well. So I can't wait to see what the actual final product is. And of course, people were bantering around on our Discord locally about that it's no doubt going to cost an arm and a leg. But as all Rama products are, it's going to be quality. They take their designs very seriously. They take the way that they work. They take their materials, their manufacturers very, very seriously. So 
I don't even know if I can afford a set of these things to test myself, but uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see when they come out. So great work, Rama. Love it. Can't wait. Okay, so that pretty much wraps up all the stuff that was on our topic list. And uh, I don't really have terribly, terribly much else to talk about since I don't want to take up too much time as it'll blow up the episode length even further once we tack on Kevin's version of his episode. Please give us feedback on how you thought this format works after you listen, of course, to the whole thing because Kevin is anticipating that he is probably going to have to travel a lot more for work and we may have more situations where the internet is just not suitable or his environment will not allow him to record at a decent quality at the same time that I can be on. We, of course, will play around with other ways of doing things and, you know, that's just how it is. Or we'll just have to do, you know, single solo episodes as well, especially if Kevin is in transit, that kind of thing. But please, please, please let us know your feedback. We love hearing from you guys. And if you want to stay in touch with us as well, you can join our Slack. Send me an email to theboardpodcast at gmail.com and I'll be able to shoot you an invite to our Slack group. And you can hang out with everybody else, chat, you know, chew the fat, sell stuff, ask questions on design and just have a good time hanging out with a bunch of really chill people. Okay, um, hmm, the only other thing left is YouTube's going really well. We've almost hit 1,900 subscribers, which is fantastic. And of course, as a quick reminder, at 2,000 subscribers, I've got these cos caps, I've got a growler, and I've got an idle key to give away. All right, let us hit that 2,000 mark, and I'll run the competition, courtesy of... Coscaps for being so generous in sending an extra set of keycaps and Jolly Green Giant who actually donated the original caps in the first place to let this happen. All right, so thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoy Kevin's half that will be following on from mine just in a few seconds. Don't forget to check out our Instagram and of course our Patreon as well. So, as always, Until next time, happy clacking. And here is Kevin. What's up, everybody? It's Sir Cheddar here from the board, and I'm going to be bringing you my session for this week's episode. So I I think that the way that Don is going to do it is he's going to play his session first and then my session. So hopefully it's all explained, but there's no such thing as too much information. So... This week I was traveling again, and we record on Saturdays, so that made the recording a little bit more difficult, and I was on in my hotel room, however, there was some building demolition going on across the street, which was incredibly loud, and we made the executive decision to... to um to do try something new with this episode and split it into two sections and see how it turns out because trying new things is fun. Okay. So, and we we should be covering some similar topics, but I might be adding a few extras that he didn't talk about. So that's cool. All right. 
So the first topic which I am going to be talking about is the modern M0110 group buy, which is now live. The M0110 is an Apple keyboard, which had a very unique design, which, which many people liked based on its simplicity. It's very blocky, and it also has blockers like an HHKB on the right and left sides. And somebody actually designed and created a replica version made out of aluminum with the same style of the plastic case. I do also want to mention that um, Topclack put out, Huey from Topclack put out a video review on one of the prototypes and it's super cool and it, that, that can give you more insights into it. But yeah, this this is this is now gonna be. I guess this is going live now. So if you're interested in that, you can check that out. Um, yeah, I guess I guess I can talk about some of the details on it as well. So right there, loading. All right, so. Its starting price is $340. It's nearly eight pounds or 3.3 kilograms. It's a redesign of the 1984 M0110 with thick bezel, chamfers, and the works. The kit includes a case and your selected color or finish, 1.5 millimeter thick brass plate, case screws, custom box with logo, rubber feet, an engraved serial number. Um, in order to finish this build, you need a 60% PCB, a pack of 65 switches, stabilizers, and keycaps. And they also offer a keyboard assembly service for this. And you can order a few extra parts like for example an, an acrylic plate, an extra blast brass plate, and you can even do some some order order for like uh, making Alps possible with this like ordering Alps compatible plates, which is cool if you want to make this more OG, but the Alps which you'd be using for this are not going to be the actual Alps which were used in it anyways but hey it'll be closer right so that's that's cool it'll get you closer to the original okay all right next topic that i wanted to talk about was this dude named salvin who created really cool aluminum anodized keycaps so the way that he created these is by machining aluminum keycaps and having them anodized and then doing some resin fusion with them so that they're basically keycaps which have gaps and holes and chunks taken out of them and then he casts them in re in resin with resin after he, he puts the list of his um his steps but it's machining tumbling polishing anodizing and finally casting with resin and he is hoping to do a group buy and charge around 
50 euros or 58 dollars each which is cool and I, I thought these were really unique and because they're multi-processed they were just like super super in depth like i'm i'm sure that this had a lot of annoying trial and error so i thought that it was worth shouting out all the hard work which he's put in there's also a few different designs too which could you know if one's not to your liking maybe another one is so yeah if you want to Stay tuned for that. You can check that out. Okay, next topic. Let's go. All right, so I know we haven't talked about them in a positive light for a while, but Jelly Key put out some pretty cool artisans this week, which I, I thought are worth mentioning. So these are called the Jelly Eden Artisan Keycaps by Join Handmade Jelly Key. I used to be a very big fan of Jelly Key when he was starting. And I, you can even look back in some of the older episodes I talked about how I was like a huge fan. And then I became like the biggest hater. I just got over it really quickly. And I was... I, I just got like a bad taste in my mouth from some of the like some I don't some of the keys and I don't know exactly why but I just turned against jelly key but I do want to say that this one is particularly nice looking so there's there's a few different designs which they're offering for this this style and it's like um so it's like a clear keycap with like swirls of bright fluorescent colors in it almost like like coral reefy a little bit um yeah actually so like the biggest the best comparison i can do to this is i actually had these really cool drinks at this bar and so they like they put the alcohol in or they put like a base alcohol that was clear and then they dropped like drops of different liquids and like swirled it around and made it all like cool looking I guess that doesn't even help anymore, but it's really cool. Okay, you should check them out. There's um, there's some cool names like always, and Jelly Key makes their like little stories about them, which is cool. It's cute if you're into that. So they're backlit cherry profile MX stem design, handmade, and they're made with magic ink. Oh yeah, they're like it's like an ink drop. If you dropped ink in like a liquid, that's like that's the the style that it looks like and they're priced at 42 dollars each which isn't even that much for artisans so good work jelly key you made something really cool all right next topic let's go rama's new prototype stabilizer announced don what do you think about this that's a real bugger, Kevin. Um, so, uh, yeah, Rama designed new stabilizers, and he actually puts up pictures of some of his like idea generation and some of the CAD designs he did for them, for like other ideas as well, and it's really cool to see some of his other concepts. There's one concept with like. A spring and I'm like super it it's super cool like a spring 
Like, that's crazy. So, anyways, this, this is his description of the project. Major CAD design work and initial testing has been complete for the Rama Work Stabilizer. Our goals are to enhance aesthetics, reduce rattle sound, and increase smoothness. More to come. So, an enhanced aesthetics, nobody really cares about that. Reduce sound and rattle. Um, I guess, yeah, I guess stabilizers are pretty, like, bangy and not that, like, great sounding ever. They're just really inconsistent, too. I'm, like, they're, they're, like, every time I build a board, it's, like, Russian roulette of, like, is this time the stabilizer's gonna work well or are they gonna suck again? And increase smoothness. Cool. That's, that's good. Increase smoothness. That's definitely, like, there's no debate having a smoother stabilizer would be better so yeah he said what's next and what is next great question what's next is the final prototype then injection molding then material exploration and testing then packaging ooh and then distribution yay and i wonder who if he's going to be partnering with somebody if that's going to go to Mastrop, it's going to go to Jay Chan who who will be collaborating or maybe he'll be handling it all himself which I've always been more than satisfied with Rama's professional attitude towards these projects so I wouldn't I wouldn't even be be upset to see Rama do some carrier work and some shipping on his own Maybe Rama can hand deliver them to people. Okay, next topic. Let's go. Somebody named Arch Control. Arch Arch T Control. He said in his post, just how cheaply can you make a keyboard? Turns very as it turns out. My first keyboard build. So the total cost for his keyboard was 30 great British pounds, which after Brexit is 30 GBP to USD. I wonder if we can look up the pre-Brexit. Okay, that's $39. Well, all right, I'm just gonna go out and say it. You can buy a keyboard cheaper than that. I bought some from China for like 20 bucks. So, but I guess if he's building his own, maybe that's, that's more expensive. Anyways, it's made from five millimeter foam board, cut to shape with an X-Acto knife and stitched together with fishing line. This is like, there's that channel on YouTube where the guy, he like lives in the wilderness and he builds like animal traps and ovens and like houses and like he talks about like strategy for like living in the wilderness and he's he's a super popular channel but i can't remember the name but this guy is like doing that for keyboards he's stitched his keyboard together with fishing line i don't even own fishing line and i don't know how to stitch okay and he said the most expensive parts were the keycaps and switches he used kale box whites 
He's using it now, now, and though it is not quite as ergonomic as he'd hoped, it is quite comfortable. He still needs wrist rests, and then he is golden. He's going to be gilded. We're going to gild him. Um, yeah, so he he stitched his keyboard together. That's That's pretty much it. Somebody did ask for the files, and he did say in a response that he basically had to make adjustments so he kind of like doesn't he doesn't want to like trust the files for giving them to other people because they can't just do it they're gonna have to play around with it for a little bit but yeah it's a cool idea and it's super diy and like the the hand wiring work in it was super cool yeah i thought this was pretty pretty unique it's one of the cooler projects i've seen in a while all right, next topic. Okay, so recently, actually five hours before recording this, so I don't think Don's gonna get this one in. So it looks like I have the upper hand as far as topics go, is the Zeal PC Round 2 Zephyr 65% keyboard kit. And this is a group buy. So this is a 65% keyboard that is entering the group buy stage and is super expensive, bro. It's cost $600. And who knows if that includes shipping because <laughs> I'm gonna probably find out after reading the details. <laughs> A 4.5% handling fee will be applied for all group by tax vat. Okay, well, I'm not going to be able to answer that question right now. But the colors, top and bottom colors, you can get Midnight Blue, Onyx Black, and Eggplant Purple. And you can get a PVD brass plate and weight in gold or silver. And you can choose to add switches or not. So this is a super cool keyboard we talked about the first one a lot when actually it was an episode with it was the episode with 2zqq and evan from the van keyboards which was like the, the funniest episode ever definitely and he said that he would he would 2zqq would like to buy this keyboard however his wife would probably kill him so he decided not to to purchase it it's so so it's um it's a two-piece design a top and bottom piece with a brass weight and then the plate as well um it also comes with a pcb which has it's a black pcb with gold traces which looks super fly it's a super pretty pcb Hmm. And the the plate, for example, has like the the, the name of the keyboard. Uh, I guess it's it should be CNC'd into it, depending on it's um how thick is the plate? The plate is okay. Well, it is probably CNC'd no matter what the thickness is. I think it's like a three or five millimeter plate though. I remember it being super thick. 
yeah, five millimeter CNC plate. So it's like it's a super expensive plate because they had this they had the CNC the plate rather than water jet it, which water jetting would be a lot cheaper. So that's part of why the cost is so high. There's also a really, really nice looking anodizing. I haven't seen it in person, but it looks pretty fantastic. It also has two brass pieces, the plate and the weight at the bottom. So I would say that the price is it's it's reasonable for this quality. This is like pretty this is pretty much like top like the top highest quality you can get right now. I mean Maybe like those old Korean customs, like the 356 and the 360 and the 456 GT. Those are maybe better, but you can't get those at all. And you're going to have to buy it from some person who's trying to get as much money off of you as possible. So I would say that this is pretty much like, this is what peak, is what peak performance looks like for keyboards. Also, I do want to mention that the packaging is really fantastic looking. I haven't actually ever seen it in person, so I can't tell you if it is functionally amazing, but it looks fantastic. I'm sure it's fine. It's it's a nice cutout foam pieces, and he has a rigid box with branding on it, and it's actually... And then he has like a little sleeve over it to hold it closed with this black and gold color scheme. And for sample pictures, he used um, GMK Yuri, which looks really good with the blue too. It's, it is an angled keyboard though. So if you don't like angled, you're not going to enjoy this keyboard. I will go through some of the details really quickly. Actually, I'll just read through the group by PSA. It says this is a group by for the Zephyr 65% keyboard kit. The group by is open from July 1st, 2018 to July 31st, 2018. 23:59 Pacific Standard Time. I don't know why that time just confused me. I was like, what what is these numbers for? <laughs> Estimated shipping time frame is November 2018. So you're going to be waiting a few months for this. The tran It comes with transparent screw-in stabilizers. The switches are extra, but you can add them to your order. What is included in this? A Zephyr black and gold box. Zephyr 65% aluminum keyboard. 5mm PVD brass plate. PVD brass nameplate. Zeal 65 Special Edition RGB PCB 1X7U32U Zeal screw-in stabilizers and custom bump-ons. The specs are USB-C, QMK, in-switch RGB LEDs, black and gold PCB traces, fully soldered PCB, 5mm brass plate with su which supports switch snap fit PVD brass plates. Hmm, wait a second. So if the plate supports snap in fit, that might be like a 
specially designed play. I can't I can't really tell from the pictures, but I think if you want a plate that's thicker than 1.5 millimeter and allows for snap-in, you have to you have to do some special processes to get it to work. I don't know if it's you have to cut in to the plate from the top or the bottom because I've never actually like looked into it because I just went with 1.5 millimeter for my keyboard and stopped thinking about it. It supports ANSI wind keyless only, so 1 1.5, 1.57, 1.5, 1.5, 1.1, 1.1 bottom row. Um, regular and stepped caps lock support, split backspace support, dust, dovetail inspired interlocking, construction, anti-stabilizer wire popping out, technology, whatever that means, anti-stabilizer wire popping out technology. It's a very technical term. Hmm. I wonder if the reason why it only supports that bottom row is because I have no idea. Maybe if you wanted to support other bottom rows, it would make the actual bottom row not able to have that snap fit because they were going to have to make extra spaces for the stabilizer holes for the space bar. That's just a guess. I have no idea. It is unfortunate that that is the case, though. That's. I mean, it's it's good that he chose that layout for me because that's my favorite layout. But for everybody else who doesn't like that layout, and I know there's like a lot of people who like different things for that bottom row, then they're kind of just out of luck. Hmm. I would I would like to know why he chose to only to only go with that bottom row and hmm okay yeah so that is the zeal zeal round two zephyr you can buy it for six hundred dollars enjoy all right next topic oh these are some dawn topics so i'm not gonna be able to talk about them that much this guy has a photo of a failed kale hot swap socket with blue gloves. He's got blue gloves. He said that this is extracted from a K-type. The previous owner somehow managed to shove in a switch in a way so wrong that it deformed the prongs of the socket. Quite interesting to see the prongs somehow. Um, somehow yielded before the solder joint and it was a quick fix. And then somebody said, do you solder with latex gloves on? And he said, easier to deal with afterwards. The gloves give contrast to a lot of things you don't normally see on your hands. Unless your gloves are hand colored or the things you're trying to see are the color of your gloves. So but anyways, yeah, it's interesting. A failed hot swap it socket. I've actually never used hot swap keyboard, so I don't have that much background on it. However, I have used SipSocket LEDs, and I actually had a, a terrible experience with them. So I kind of avoided anything that was hot swappy that's not hard soldered in because 
It doesn't give me peace of mind. All right. Okay, this is actually the last topic. Oh man. But I gotta get to 30 minutes. We got five more minutes. So the last topic is, do you dare to macro harder than anyone has ever macroed before? Who do you think posted that? None other than Donut Cables or Donut Cat Cables. He said, if so, you've come to the right place for the the group buy for the Scrabble Pad PCB is going on right now. Welcome to the group buy for the Scrabble board, the Scrabble Pad PCB, an accompli- an accompaniment, a accompaniment, accompaniment to the novel keys <laughs> Jollymon Scrabble board, as well as the standalone meme macro pad of ridiculous proportions. Current features are as follows 15 by 15 matrix for 225 total switches n key rollover capable with supported firmware teensy plus plus 2.0 equivalent controller qmk tmk and other firmware compatible spi and i2c breakouts micro sd reader and trrs port footprints, RGB strip header, expansion pin breakouts, 16 total mounting points for flexible free mounting to a PCB plate for the standalone usage. Details and pricing can be found on the form. Estimated run date is 625 to 716. I've also got this nifty graph of progress thanks to Dvorkol. Current numbers are for this afternoon are PCB is 28, currently down to 16.50 each, and diode packs, and the rest of the stuff. Yeah, so this is cool. It's a huge macro pad. I've seen one of these before. I think it was only 12 by 12, so this is even bigger. I think they're really obnoxious, and I don't like them, but (laughs) if you do like them, then I, good, then you should try to you know, don't let me tell you what to do. I I would, like, I don't know. Like, maybe some people can have a use for this. And I think if you do have a use for it, then you deserve this. This is for you. And don't let anybody tell you to not use it. Um, Yeah, this is also, like ortho so it's like for all the ortho lovers if you ever just wanted a plank that was like (laughs) like five planks together in one plank then this is this is your moment seize it okay so that was that was all the topics i still got one more minute oh we got the guessing game the guessing game so this week the way we're doing the guessing game is I'm reading my five, and then Don's reading his five, and we're going to listen to each other say the clues, and then we're going to tell each other how many points we got. So, Don, the first clue is this company is the management buyout of Comtech, Inc., the U.S. arm of a former Canadian injection molding manufacturer. This company was founded in 2001. 
So those that that's the first the, that's the first two. This company is founded in 2001 as the second clue. The third clue is this company is located in Custer, Washington, the United States of America. The fourth clue is they offer double shot die sub pad printed keycaps abs and pbt and the last clue is they started a website dedicated to keycaps in 2012 known as pimp my keyboard all right and i'm, I'm not supposed to say the answer or maybe i am i think i'm not supposed to <laughs> so <laughs> So I guess you have to tune in next week. Okay, so that should be all the time. Now I'm going to go to sleep. And thank you all for watching. Kevin interviews. Kev interviews are going to be coming sooner than later. I promise I'll figure out what to do with them soon. But I've just been really lazy. Okay, and I will see you all next week. All right, goodbye and happy clacking. And if you can still hear me, Don, hi, Don. Okay, all right, bye.